You're listening to Stories Behind the Songs with Chris Blair. For more information, check out chrisblair.com. In this episode, I sit down with the amazing JT Harding. Guys, JT is from Detroit and he's written hits for Keith Urban, Kenny Chesney, Uncle Cracker, Jake Owen, Darius Rucker, the Jonas Brothers, Blake Shelton, and many more. Uh, Man, I've known this guy for years and years and years. He is always full of energy, puts on an incredible show, and guaranteed this is the funniest episode I've put out to date. Um, JT grew up like me, loving the 90s rock bands like Van Halen, Prince, bands like that. He moved to LA to be a rock star himself, but eventually started coming to Nashville to write songs, and it just stuck. In this episode, he's gonna talk about how Linkin Park helped him get a songwriting deal, He's going to talk about the stories behind songs like Somewhere With You for Kenny Chesney, Smile for Uncle Cracker, Alone With You for Jayco, and um, he's going to talk about meeting Keith Urban in a bathroom at an award show, which led to them riding Somewhere in My Car, Uh, stories behind Sangria for Blake Shelton, Bar at the End of the World for Kenny Chesney. It's just awesome. He's also going to talk about what his favorite song is that he wrote, Um, Great advice throughout the entire episode for aspiring songwriters and his brand new book, Party Like a Rockstar, that we did the book release party for at the listening room with Dana Perino. Uh, And it is now a number one book on Amazon. It's an awesome episode. Let's get to it. JT Harding. Here we go. Hey guys, this is another episode of Stories Behind the Songs with Chris Blair, and I am here with JT Harding. Hello out there, people. JT. If you're at work, drum on your desk. If you're in your car, honk your horn. And if you're still in bed, dance on your back. Hit songwriter JT Harding live on air with Behind the Song with Chris Blair. Woo! I love it. I love it, man. I have, not, I have not been up this early since the 90s, so congratulations <laughs> for getting me out of You bed. know, I, I sat in traffic today, too, for you. I did it <laughs> oh, for you. I you. love it. Oh, man, I sit in traffic, actually, on purpose, hoping one of my songs comes on. Uh, that's probably not hard. What do you, what <laughs> do you got to go, like, every, every three or four songs? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for being here, man. We, it goes, we go way back. Of uh, you, You've been playing Listening Room for, when was your first show? Do you remember? I don't remember, but I do remember the very first time I ever went to the Listening Room. Uh, the pre-famous Casey Musgraves was playing, but it was at Union Station, and I'd never yeah, been the, there before, and it was so crowded. I called. I didn't know you yet. I called it uh, the "You Can't Hear Anything" room because it was so crowded. Everyone yes. was talking. So that was your place, the, the right? The talking room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it was in come, come in station. <laughs> yes, but yeah. now, but now, uh, the first time I put the old listening room, I don't remember, but I do remember. It's always packed. It's always a great crowd, and it's you know I love playing. Favorite place to play. It's and like it's I can be my superhero self when I play here. I'm like a rock star. Yeah, you are a rock star. You party <laughs> like a rock star. <laughs> yes. We'll get to that later. <laughs> uh, well, man, let's. Uh, okay, so for everybody listening out there, you know, it's basically like we're going to talk about stories behind the songs. So obviously, the legit songs. Um, but also it's just anything we want to talk about. Uh, let's talk about you, your, you know, how you got from Detroit. My relationship problems. No kidding. <laughs> well, you're on a couch. We can get there. You want to lay down for yes. a minute? Yeah. Um, yeah. Let, you know, just like, let's pretend you don't know, like we've never talked. So I don't know anything about you so that we can share everything with, cause I know all these stories, but they're so good. 
and uh, and I don't want to leave anything out. So let's just go back to the Detroit days. Let's turn back the clock, clock, yes. clock, clock. Yes. So take me back to JT as a kid, uh, like jamming out <laughs> to cassette tapes, and my mom like, just screamed, "No, I don't want him back!" back <laughs> well, so uh, I was born, and the universe did a mic drop. Uh, I was raised in the home of country music, Detroit, Michigan. So I grew up in Detroit. I was adopted. I feel like I won the lottery of life. I was, uh, I was adopted. I, I grew up in Detroit, and I just loved watching MTV. And my parents were huge sports fans. My dad caught a touchdown in the Rose Bowl. He worked at ESPN. I would always say I was an MTV junkie trapped in an episode of Sports Center. I loved listening to the radio. I wanted to crawl inside the TV, so I started putting bands together together crawl inside the tv to be in these videos and i started putting bands together and i don't really know where the instinct came from but i just i knew that to make it to really get on the radio to be quote unquote a rock star you had to write your own songs and the songs were pretty awful when i started but i was you know always just trying to write songs you know i don't know the chords i don't know the notes of what I play, but I was always just trying to bang out notes on the piano and guitar. And it's just something I always knew that I wanted to do. And thankfully my parents were very supportive. Yeah. So you, uh, I mean, early on, you knew this is what you wanted to do. When did you decide to make that move and say, okay, I, I've got to be in Nashville. Well, great story. Well, first, uh, I looked on the back of all my CDs, and they all said Sunset Boulevard, California. My Van Halen, my Prince, you know, every CD I had. My Duran Duran CDs, Capitol Records, Hollywood, California. Yes. So at 17 years old, uh, hang on to your hearts, I moved out to California, and I was living on the most unglamorous corner of Hollywood, and I just went for it. Started looking in the paper, uh, looking for, yeah, we didn't have the internet then. You know, this was in the 90s, so... You know, for you youngsters out there, uh, to show off my outfits at school, I had to walk to the pencil sharpener twice a class. And when I got to Hollywood, <laughs> I had to look in the newspaper and try to put bands together. And I, w I got a job at a record store called Tower Records. It was big as a Home Depot. Tower Records was gigantic. I didn't know anyone in the music business, but I was, I was so naive. I thought, well, if I work at this record store in Hollywood, certainly someone that knows someone at the local record companies would come in there. And man, every word of this is true. Every celebrity came in. Michael Jackson, Kurt Cobain, Prince, Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Springsteen, George Michael. It was literally like everyone I'd ever seen on TV or, or in the movies was coming in. And I gave every single one of them my demo. And I gave a demo to a guy that worked at a record company. And I actually got a record deal doing that. And he said, I recognized him because his name was on all the records. His name was uh, on the CDs, Brian Koppelman. He had signed Tracy Chapman. And I said, are you Brian Koppelman? Because he brought his credit card out. You signed Tracy Chapman? And he said, man, yeah, no one really knows me. You must love your job. And I said, oh, yeah, this is part of my get-rich-slow scheme, you know, working here. <laughs> and uh, it was like I said, I was so naive that this could happen. And he ended up get, giving me a record deal. I made a record deal with John Mellencamp's band in New York, you know, limousines, money, and everything. The deal fell through. But it just, I kept writing and people started calling me for songs. And in a long, twisted story, I eventually started coming to Nashville. And once I got to Nashville, I just said, I want to stay here. It's a great city. I'd been in Los Angeles for five years. My heart had been broken by the music business more than the ice cream machine at McDonald's over there on Nolansville. And <laughs> once I got to Nashville, everyone was just so nice. And there were so many inspiring songwriters. So that's what got me here. Yeah, man. <laughs> and it is, uh, it's been an awesome road since that happened. Um, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't happen overnight. So I want to talk about that, but I mean, 
you've just had hit after hit after hit and and you know you've graced us uh by playing here so much you know just over the years um but once so once you got here and you were like okay i'm i'm gonna go down that path of songwriting what was like that like like to lead up to a, a publishing deal the first time that you co-wrote with somebody and like trying to figure that out from like okay i'm going from like rock star rock star you know i'm gonna do this to to songwriter walk me through that exactly so what a great question i mean i've always read i knew that elton john wrote his songs with yep. bernie Taupin. i knew that the beatles wrote together i knew that kiss wrote together but i'd never really written songs with anybody so when i got to nashville after my record deal fell through i was working for the superstar band lincoln park and uh, i was their assistant they were very low maintenance and they would let me open up for them and some nights i would get brutally booed off stage but it was because of opening up for them just two or three songs on an acoustic guitar that I got my writing deal in Nashville. So I came here, and yeah, it was like you're in rooms with people. It's like speed dating almost. You're in a room with someone every day that you've never met. You're both throwing out ideas. And it was odd for me at first. It was a little uncomfortable. I was just like, oh, how does this work? But eventually, I met people that I was really inspired by. We really got each other. I say it all the time. There's a great published music publisher named Jeff Carlton. Okay, when he, I know I'm jumping around a bit. When I first came to town, and everyone does this, and I did it too, I thought, if I can just write a song with the big hit songwriters, I'll have a hit too. If I could just write with Craig Wiseman, if I could just write with Hillary Lindsay, then I'll have a hit too. It'll just be magic. But I've never seen that happen for anyone. It's not how it happens. You have to find your own tribe, and you have to rise up together. And people, I play here, and as soon as I come off stage, people are like, I just moved to town. You want to write? And I try to politely tell them, man, you've got to find your own tribe. And so after I was here for a while, I had a publishing deal. I lost that deal after a few years. And then I met a young man named Shane McAnally. Now, mm. it's very easy to throw his name around now because he's had so many hits. But at the time, Shane had been in Nashville off and on for 14 years. He'd never had a hit. Yeah. He was sleeping on his sister's couch. Uh, it was it's funny to think about it was so many spray tans yeah. ago for him, you know, <laughs> and uh, my apartment had just been condemned. I didn't know where I was going to live. And then we both met up. We had both been through brutal breakups the first day we met. But on that day, we both showed up. Neither of us wanted to be there. I didn't know him. He didn't know me. But that day we wrote Somewhere With You that Kenny Chesney put out. So you just really never know what's going to happen. But you know, Shane and I met, we had that first hit together, we became great friends, and we've had many hits since. And he introduced me to Josh Osborne and Trevor Rosen and the guys that put together Old Dominion and Brandy Clark. You know, they had like a serious tribe. Yeah. And I would kind of pop in and out of that tribe. Yeah. Man. I hope this is making sense. No, it's yeah. it's great. Yeah, and I think that's that's a great point because you know, I've I've gotten that too, you know, and it's like people they do, they expect to come here and either as an artist, uh, you know, they were huge in their town. Yes. I'm talking about myself at this point. You know, like <laughs> I, I, that's what I thought. Yeah. You know, like I, I literally, I was opening up for every. He was major. the most popular singer in his town, and there were three singers in that town. There, so there was quite, quite an achievement when everybody was home. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was awesome. It was like you know, like, and I, I literally thought that I was like, okay, I got, I've, I've got uh, a label interested in me. I'm gonna come. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a couple weeks uh, on, on Broadway at Tootsie's, and then I'm gonna be on a bus. Yes. Right. And. And, and obviously that didn't happen, and I'm grateful for it. But, uh, you know, it, in the songwriting, it's the same thing. Yeah, they, they you know, it's like, oh, the, you know, the, you're looking at all the stuff on, you know, from our day, the, the back of a cassette tape or CD, yes. and then, you know, now, you know, Spotify. But it it's like 
everybody's like, okay, well, how can I get in that camp and write with these guys? And it's like, form you, your own camp. You can't, you got to write. And, and it's about, I was, I was just a couple weeks ago talking about this with somebody, but it's, it seems like it's about every five to seven years that you'll see this flip, right? Yes. Like if I go back to like when I first moved to town, it was like the Craig Wiseman, um, Jeffrey Steele, Bob DePiro, you know, that whole camp, yes. Tony Mullins. And then a little bit later, you know, it's the, it's the Shane McAnally, Josh Osborne, JT Harding, you know, that, that kind of thing. And now, you know, it's, there, there's a lot of uh, newer writers that have now there's been 17 Hardy guys and, named all named uh, Adam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's, it, it, that's the thing. It's like, they find that they find these writers that, that they work well together and each one of them has their unique, uh, abilities that they bring to that room. And then, you know, the next thing you know, it's like, that's the camp that's rising up. So yes. And in spite any, uh, aspiring songwriters, I, I'll, I'll nah, sorry, any aspiring songwriters, I also say, and I mean this, you know, make a noise so loud that I have to write with you yeah. instead of just saying, I just got to town. Let's write. Like there's so many new people coming up and I'm like, wow, listen to this song. Who wrote that? And going right back to the listening room and correct me if this is wrong, but I think it's true. Priscilla block worked here. She yep. got a record deal. And one day I was looking at a record. I said, who are all these writers? And they said, Oh, these are all people, girls she worked with at the listening room or girls that she knew. So yep. that's a great example of someone kind of forming their own tribe 100%. and coming up together. Yeah. Yep. I love it. Okay. So Woo. you and Shane are in a room. Yes. You meet, uh, just had terrible breakups and you write this song. How does it get to Kenny? This episode is brought to you by Brit Skin Beauty. Located in the beautiful Indulgence Medi Spa in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, Brittany is the go-to esthetician for facials, dermaplaning, microdermabrasion, waxing, lashes, and any skincare products and consultations. So many people in the music industry use her frequently, and her work speaks for itself. To schedule your next consultation or make an appointment, visit BritSkinBeauty.com or send an email to BritSkinBeauty at gmail.com. Oh, that's a great question. So uh, this is the thing I love to stress about the song Somewhere With You. I'm very flattered. People say, it's my favorite Kenny Chesney song. What a great song for him. What a great country, country song. Everybody in town, every manager, artist, record company, <laughs> everybody passed on Somewhere With You. That thing went through more hands than a vape pen at a Morgan Wallen after show. <laughs> Everyone said this is not a country song. Country songs, they would say to me, say, long notes i hope you dance or just breathe those are great songs but they said you're doing this fast singing thing laughing aloud on a carnival ride like no one's gonna do that so an incredible publisher in town who i believe at the time did not have a job named robin palmer she works at smack mm, publishing yeah now. a great woman kenny chesney from what i heard had a record done he went to his manager he said i feel like this record is not right he's obviously a very smart person kenny chesney I need some new songs. This record feels a little incomplete. So Kenny Chesney had a meet, uh, had a, like a lunch with all the publishers, and Robin Palmer somehow got an invite to this. And Kenny said, everyone give me one song. I promise you I'll listen to it. And he had a basket or a trash bag or something. And Robin Palmer burned Somewhere With You on a CD, put it in that basket, and he heard it. And when Kenny said, I'm going to do this song, everyone just got out of his way radio stations played it you know kenny was already a superstar but it was his first song to ever sell a million copies mm. and we were just like on cloud nine so once again the point is shane and i weren't trying to follow any trends we were just writing from the bottom of our broken hearts we weren't trying to be different we weren't thinking 
hey, this is like a cool new thing or what trend should we follow? We just were wrote something that meant something to us and it made all the difference in the world. If we'd written a song about a beach or a song about a tractor or a song about a cowboy hat, Kenny Chesney would never have heard it. He was already past all that kind of stuff. So if you're listening, if you just write something from your heart that means something to you, uh, it can make all the difference in the world. You know, I think country fans are very smart, so you have to be authentic. I don't write songs about red dirt roads and crickets and frogs. I'm from Detroit. Camping to me is room service ends at midnight. Uh, <laughs> and I love those kind of songs, but you're not going to out Georgia someone from Georgia. So wherever you're from, oh, whatever your so story good. is, yeah. write that story, and, man, people will go for it. That, I mean, it's happened for me. You know? Don't follow the trend. Start the trend. Yeah, because by the time the trend comes, by the time you write a song that might sound like something on the radio, that trend is already gone. gone. Yeah. You know, like a DoorDash guy. Zing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So then after that, was your catalog just opened up and things started to just, okay, well, what what other songs do you have that we can listen to and pitch? Or was it kind of a slow stepping stone after that? Well, it never gets any, that's a great question. It never gets any easier. I've never been in the position where people, people do call and say, hey, do you have any songs? But they don't just say, I, I have three JT Harding songs, let's put them out. So something after years and years and years of trying, uh, around, uh, before Somewhere With You came out, uh, or around the same time, uh, I wrote a song called Smile with Uncle Cracker, another song that sat on the shelf forever, and Smile came out, then Somewhere With You. So doors were opening to me for people that wanted to write for me with me, but it never necessarily got easier. I still had to wake up every day and try to write the best song in town. After that, it was another couple of years, and uh, Shane and I wrote Alone With You for Jake Owen. So th- those were the first two hits, and I had Smile, and I just always kept writing. I mean, one, when you asked me when I first came to Nashville, I noticed that the people that were having success were writing every single day. I was kind of going back and forth to L.A., then I would go back to Michigan for a week to visit my parents or whatever, kind of taking little breaks. But in Nashville, it's a full-contact sport. People are writing every day. So I said, man, I've got to be here writing every single day. And that's what I was doing. So imagine writing four days a week, year after year, and I've, I've had nine hits. But, I mean, think of it. It's hundreds and hundreds of songs. Yeah. But luckily, I've had some that have popped up. Yeah. So I don't know why it takes so many songs, but it just does. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you know, 100, 100 songs to find that good one, right? Like, I mean, it's, yeah, and it's, certainly it's, I have other songs that are like, this is better than this. This is better. This, they're they're going to go crazy when they hear this one, and then no one even responds. Yeah. But you do get lucky, and people are say, hey, people say, hey, this is a good song. I thought Alone With You, you know, with the line, you know, don't put your hand up my shirt and tell me it's okay. We always thought that would be a song probably for a girl. So then, once again, the magic, mysterious world of music in Nashville, yeah. Jake Owen decided to record it, which I thought was a genius you know, move because he's a great looking guy, but it was like this, you know, he was kind of vulnerable when he sang it. It really yeah. worked out. Yeah, it was. It, it, yeah, he did a great job with that. Um, let's go back to Uncle Cracker. Ah, yes. Because I, I, <laughs> I love this story. And, uh, you know, there's a there's a couple incredible lines in that in that song. Um, they were probably his. It's, uh, well, I mean, I know I know one of them was because you've talked about it, but flipping the pillow to the to the cold side. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just like to talk. Walk, let's walk through that 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 right together and just how that was to be in a room with Uncle Cracker. (laughs) I hope you can hear me smiling. It sounds like an Uncle Cracker song. So I had uh, opened for Linkin Park, lost a few record deals. I was putting up songs on MySpace. I'd never really had a hit, but I did have a song called, a rock song called Party Like a Rockstar. I'm going to party like a rock star. And it was on the radio in some cities and a little bit in Detroit. And Cracker had heard that. And a buddy of mine 
uh, had given him a CD. Uncle Cracker did not know I was from Detroit. Uh, and he called me, and I was just you know, floored because I'd met every rock star, but no one had ever called me and said, let's write. And for those of you that might not know too much about Uncle Cracker, his song, Follow Me, was gigantic. Then he put out Gimme the Beat Boys, which sold like 10 million copies. He was in Kid Rock's band. So he said, hey, we should write. So I flew up to Detroit. He picked me up at the airport, and we drove up to his cottage. And when I say it was snowing, I mean, it was a full-on blizzard. It was like we were in a snow globe that a kid couldn't <laughs> stop shaking. I mean, snowflakes the size of you know silver dollars. It was crazy. The, the, his car got stuck in the driveway. We go in the house, and, and we spent the whole weekend writing. And he was like chain-smoking and drinking Faygo soda. My eyes were as red as the Netflix logo. And all weekend in the blizzard, we're writing songs. We probably wrote five or six songs. And I, I remember saying to myself, well, these are good, right? These are pretty good. Yeah, of course they're good. I'm writing with Uncle Cracker. These songs are good. Yeah, man, these songs are good. These songs are good. I can kind of remember pumping myself up on the last day. There was another writer there as well. We just had a laptop, a couple lyric books, maybe recording in our phones for the first time ever. We were packing all our stuff up. There's people skating out on the lake. And I'll never forget it. Uncle Cracker just out of the blue said, what about a song called Smile? And I was like, what? You know, we were like getting ready to leave. And he said, yeah, I saw the Chipmunks movie with my daughters. And, like, the Chipmunks could sing every song in the movie. I need a song that my daughters can sing. And he said, that my mom likes and that my wife can dance to as well. And I thought, okay, three generations of women liking the same song. Why don't we just put on blindfolds and do a Rubik's Cube? Let's see what happens quicker, you know? <laughs> and uh, the other writer there, Blair Daly, in his computer, he had this little piano loop just going, dun 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 And... I literally just said, you're better than the best. And and Blair said, I'm lucky just to linger in your light. And then here comes Cracker with the home run line. He just said, cooler than the flip side of my pillow. I'd never heard that before. A little side note for songwriters out there. If you can think of a lyric that's not been said before, really, you yeah. know, a lot, but everyone knows what you mean, it can, it's just the best thing in the world. It's hard to do. But those simple lines make all the difference. And then we wrote the chorus, you make me smile. It just kind of fell out. And Chris, every snowflake was suspended in midair. The I yeah. don't know why Uncle Cracker's record label was where they were dragging their feet. But Uncle Cracker wrote all summer long with Kid Rock. There's a huge producer named Rob Cavallo who produced the Goo Goo Dolls, Atlantis Morissette, all the Green Day records, My Chemical Romance. He produced Kid Rock. He heard Smile. And he was like, he was kind of like Quentin Tarantino. He was like, well, come on, man. Let's record Smile, man. Yeah, yeah I work at Warner Brothers, man. We'll get it put out. We'll put it out. So then he recorded Smile. And when it came out, it was just a huge pop hit. It was a country hit. It's been used in ice cream commercials, movies. The Olympics used it when Regis retired. They played the whole song, and all his fans were holding up, You Make Me Smile. So that's pretty much the origin of that song. The title was Uncle Crackers. The best line in the song was Uncle Crackers. And it was just a really great you know song to come out man what a what a story I, yeah. I've, I've heard you tell that before it's just you know and I like I I had to bring that one up because I wanted I wanted oh, I to share it, with everybody yeah. listening it's like man totally. I mean and, it's, you know it's, they played a lot at CVS and Walgreens and I, I was gonna if I ever get a match profile I'm gonna say I'm hot in the pharmacies <laughs> I'm hot in the pharmacies <laughs> you, you you have to do that at this point <laughs> have you seen my outfit I don't need a we'll match put it profile. we'll put it on the liners of this podcast <laughs> the link to JT's match profile yeah. <laughs> uh, okay so 
Let's um, let's shift gears to um, walk me through being at an awards show. Oh yes, and going to the bathroom. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is this on video? Uh, there was a. I had heard <laughs> I when somewhere with you was climbing the chart. I had heard that Kenny Chesney. Oh, sorry. Yes. Edit. Edit. When Somewhere With You by Kenny Chesney was climbing the chart, getting played more and more on the radio, I started hearing from friends that Keith Urban was talking about Somewhere With You. He talked about it on, a ra- on the radio. He started telling his fans to buy it. I'd never met Keith Urban. He didn't know who I was. He had no idea who wrote the song. But this was, you know, a really great feeling. I was like, I can't believe Keith Urban likes this song. And a few months later, I was at an award show here, not too far from here downtown. I was in the men's room washing my hands, and I looked back, and there at the wall stall was Keith Urban taking a leak. <laughs> so I waited for him. I always say I invented the long hand yeah, wash. I just yeah. stayed there. And he came up to the sink, and every word of this is true. I said, I said, Mr. Urban, my name's JT. I wrote Somewhere With You. Your fans embraced it. It's, it was a three-week number one song, and he just said, mate, what a song. If I had heard that before Kenny, and if I had heard that before everyone in town— I would have put it on my last album. And I just said, dude, that is so crazy. Because I sent that song to your record company <laughs> and your manager, <laughs> probably to someone at the Bluebird that knew you in the listening room. And he said, you know, and my wife's crazy about that song. Do you have your phone on you? I think I'm about to meet Nicole Kidman right there. So I get my phone out. And Keith put his phone number in the phone I have right here in my pocket. And he said, the next time you have a song, he said, if you believe in it, you think it's good for me, let me know right away. And we bro-hugged, and we went back to our candlelit tables, and, you know, oh, that only happens in Nashville. And as you know, I texted him at 7 a.m. the next morning, <laughs> <laughs> and he never answered back. Months and months went by, but he finally did, and we got together, and we wrote Somewhere in My Car, and it was the number one song. And Keith, I got to tell you, writing with him, he had the whole song like a blueprint, like an architect. He said... This is the drum beat. He played me the drum beat. He said, this is the guitar I want. Dun, 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 dun. And he said, let's make it about a past relationship. I haven't had a song like that in a while. He said, so he, he knew exactly what he wanted. And then we just uh, you know, wrote the lyrics and the melody together to Somewhere in My Car. And it was just fantastic. And now I'm not allowed to hang out in bathrooms at any award show. So that's a, <laughs> that's a downside of that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a good place to meet people. Yeah. So, <laughs> man. Uh, it's what? What is it? Keith actually showed up here unannounced. Yeah, he night, did. He? He, Ross Copperman was playing. Oh wow! And uh, uh, with the song, Keith that saw him and left. No. He, <laughs> uh, what was the song? It, Ross wrote it with Josh. Uh, oh, John Osborne Kruger, and John Deere, John, yeah, John three sixteen. Yeah, yeah. That uh, Ross was. Uh, it's about three outhouses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ross was playing, and uh, yeah, Keith. Um, Keith wanted to come, and we like snuck him in, and he was up in the balcony, and nobody knew, and. Um, and I think I, I, I don't know for sure, but I think like Keith was like, hey, dude, I just want to come listen. I'm just coming to support you to Ross. And he was like, I, I'm just I'm just coming to listen, you know, and, and you're sitting here like you can't see you can't see who's no, in the balcony. You right. You can't see those uh, it's, blue eyes that look like ice on fire. In the exactly. Um, but but yeah, here. you got to call. Him yeah. Up. Ross. On. Ross was like, uh, hey, I've got a I've got a buddy in the uh, in the crowd and, and we're going to bring him up. And yeah, brought uh, so great. Brought Keith up, and he uh, he played two or three songs, and yeah, it was it was awesome. <laughs> I've got to add that to my show, ladies and gentlemen. I wrote this with Keith Urban, and I just want to tell you something. It's a, a surprise. He's not here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's great. The listening room, man. Wow. And I played here one night and completely unannounced. Uh, Sam Hunt 
came strutting yeah. on stage to play with Emily Wiseman. Wow. It really has been um, it's been awesome seeing. I mean, Keith played at the Cummins Station location as well. Wow. Um, and um, and I did meet Nicole Kidman oh. that night. Actually, I like uh, changed the direction of she where I was walking. She, she thought he was the valet guy. Yeah, I was I was going one way, and she and I saw her coming, and I like I literally switched and and, and went around the other side of the sound booth so that I could just like bump into her. That's and was like, oh, I'm so sorry, excuse me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's been awesome. It's great like, that they live here. Yeah, the people that uh, that, that will just show up, and um, you know, I mean, people that got their start playing here and have gone on to to be you know, big time. And they still, when they come back, they'll shoot me a text and say, Hey, I'm in town. I'm off the road for a month. Can we come play? You know, I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's such an honor. And then, you know, people like Keith and, you know, big, big guys like that, that, totally. that didn't get their start here, but still just love it so much that they'll just pop up on stage unannounced. And exactly. Hey, can I throw another little, uh, fun little curveball? If you're an aspiring songwriter out there, you have no control over what these songs do. At least I've found. Yeah. And the reason you just reminded me, I was watching American Idol and Keith Urban. So the the song, the album Fuse came out that had Cop Car, Somewhere in My Car and a bunch of great songs. The album Fuse was out. Keith was on American Idol. And he said, hey, everybody, this is my new single. I forget the name of the song. It might be like called Her Boots or something. And he played it on American Idol. I had my song on the same record. I texted the songwriter of that, and I said, man, Keith just played your song on American Idol. It's the next single. Congrats. He wrote me back, and he said, yeah, my kids are all jumping around. We're so excited. We had no idea. And I was generally happy for him. Two days later, or three days, I get a call from someone and say, hey, man, I just wanted you to know Somewhere in My Car is the next Keith single. And I said, wait, I just saw him on American Idol. He said it was going to be another song. And he said, well... There was a dinner with all these radio people, and the radio people started saying, hey, we want to play somewhere in my car. So they switched it, and my song became the single, and I'm very grateful for. But it's just an interesting lesson wow. that you have no control over, over this stuff. And so you can't stomp around the house thinking, why didn't I get the, the single? Because you never know you know, what decisions are being made. I mean, the stars literally have to align. You have to yeah. write a song that someone likes, that they put it on a record, that a radio guy likes, then the audience has to like it. So I, I try to remind people, don't, you know, let the town drive you, but don't let it drive you crazy because all of this stuff is really out of your control. Mm, that's such good advice, man. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I didn't if know If you that. had the CD in front of me, I would know the song. But yeah, no, I yeah. got really lucky, yeah. Wow. So what what is what's it been you know just since then you know and like um you know is it still like you go to the office every day and you write songs and uh you know Absolutely like absolutely I'm signed to uh Sony Publishing and I was signed to a, a small place called This Music it was like a little kind of like you would say a mom and pop shop but a small publishing company and it became so successful with our uh, writers like Jesse Alexander, Ben Hayslip, Derek Rattan and the guy that runs it, Rusty, they hired him to be the head of Sony. So I said, man, yeah, I'll follow you. I mean, I really he's a great love dude. Rusty. Yeah, he's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, so I'm um, listen, man, we're, we're in there four and five days a week. And I am very lucky. I get to, you know, I'm sent everywhere to do songwriter shows. I've been to, you know, Sundance twice last year. Did the listening room at Pigeon Forge. If you're wondering about my incredible outfit, I just played the Maui Songwriter Festival in Hawaii. I just got back. So I, I do love to travel. We take writing trips a lot. But once again, in Nashville, if you want to stay competitive, if you want to, you know, there's a 100% chance you're not going to have a song on the radio if you don't show up to write. So I try to show up, you know, most days and write. And, and I love it. You know, the other, 
uh, some of my best friends in town are, are people that I've met writing. So it's great. We laugh. We get together. And some days we write a great song. Some days we don't. But then you just go back the next day. You guys heard it right here. I mean, it, that's that's the key. So, I mean, you got a guy like J.T. Harding that Woo! has hit after hit after hit. And, uh, you know, he's still showing up every day to write songs. You, you have to. Keep, keep it going. And listen, I don't like to admit this, but I heard another songwriter say it. And I was so shocked that he was so open and honest. Some days... The last thing in the world I want to do is write a song. And I'm like, oh, gosh. And I get my coffee, and I go down to Music Row. And then you walk in, and I'm with Josh Osborne and, and Trevor Rosen. And Josh says, man, I have this title. I don't know what to do with it, but it's called Sangria. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what if I didn't show up today? And then we write Sangria, and Blake Shelton puts it out. So you just, you know, it, it sounds cliche, but it's true. Showing up is 90% of it because you literally – can show up and two hours later or four hours or five hours, you know, write song of the year. And I've also learned something. It only feels like work the 10 or 20 minutes before you start. Once you're in writing the song, it doesn't really feel like work. You're laughing. You're rhyming songs. You're trying to make it better. You're, you know, ordering food. You're stepping out to check your Instagram. So... Yeah. Uh, don't don't psych yourself out and think that it's too hard. Once you're in there, it's fun. Yeah. And it's supposed to be hard. That's what makes it great. Yeah. I don't, I mean, if it it's... was easy, everyone in my high school reunion would have hit songs. I don't want that. Exactly. I want to slide in and say the king's back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the it's water so boy true. actually made it. This episode is brought to you by Sennheiser Microphones. When we first started this podcast, we were using some older microphones and Sennheiser came in and sponsored us and gave us some MK4s and 914s. And I mean, I'm telling you, it's made all of the difference in the world. We love these microphones. We use them at the listening room as well. And I just can't say enough great things about them. Go check out Sennheiser.com. If you are into music in any way, their microphones are hands down the best on the planet. Go check them out, Sennheiser.com. And thank you, Sennheiser, for the support and the sponsorship. We love y'all. I was in a right, uh, gosh, this is about a year and a half ago or so, but I, yeah, I, I had, um, I had a, a, a slam day and I was, I was writing with uh, Jason Duke and AJ Cross. Oh, nice. And, uh, and we were writing for AJ's project. And, uh, and we, you know, it was a, it was a great write. We, we wrote a great song. We were all happy with it. And I'm, I'm leaving Sony, uh, to I'm, I'm going on to the rest of the day. And I had a little bit of a break. I had about two hours before the next thing. And I was just like, man, I'm so like, I, I was hungry. I was like, I'm going to go like grab something to eat. And I just want to chill and like, just, and, and, uh, Jason and AJ had another write with, um, with a couple guys and they were like, Hey man, that went so well. Like, do you want to jump in on this too? And in my head, I was like, no, yeah, you know, like I, I just did not want to do it. And, and I, and I was like, it's the same kind of thing. I was like, ah, yeah. Okay. So, you know, I go to the, the, the lounge at Sony, I grab, grab like a, you know, another cup of coffee and some granola bars or All something. Those like, yeah, treats exactly. That they, that they spend on us. And we, and we, you know, we go in the room and we, and we wrote without a girl that AJ ended up putting oh, out. Wow. And, you know, yeah, and if I it was like, um, it was such a fun, right? And the story uh, of your life without a girl. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're happy. I got a, I've you're, got a great one. I know, I'm, yeah, I'm kidding. I'm yeah. Um, but yeah, it's those moments that like, um, I think I think that you can take this on outside. Th get get away from songwriting in the music industry as a whole. Absolutely. Anything, anything yeah. you do, like you know, whether whether it's just you know getting that paycheck every day, like what you whatever you do as a job, 
there's always going to be times where you don't want to do it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And you gotta, you've got to have that mental capacity to like just push through and, and get it done. Totally. And then the flip side to that coin is one of my new favorite quotes resting is productive because I can kind of be like, oh man, is what's going on? Am I not doing enough? A lot of Nashville has a funny way of making even the biggest hit songwriters I've talked to. Like you, you always kind of feel like you just really haven't made it yet. You're like, oh, I need another hit. But uh, taking breaks is really important because you can't be on output all the time. So you have to see movies and read books and go on vacation and recharge and, you know, fall in love, get your heart broken, to have adventures. So you have things to write about. I mean, sure. you can't just, you know, sit in a, in a cubicle or an office all day and think you're going to be super creative. I wrote another song called Bar at the End of the World for Kenny Chesney. Last thing in my mind was writing a song. I went down to visit my best buddy who lives in the Virgin Islands. Like we, we would go bar hopping on a boat over that robin egg blue water. Last thing on my mind, I said, was right, was thinking about writing a song. When I was down there, I was like, look at all these images, you know, palm trees with crackly speakers, bartenders with braids wearing pirate shirts. And I was like, <laughs> wow, you know, you know, because I took that break and I was not even thinking about it, it, it recharged me and, and new ideas started coming. So definitely don't work yourself ragged. Take some breaks. Yeah. So um, let's talk about the outfits. Oh, yes, yes. I yeah, like so, my money where I can see it, hanging in my closet. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you, uh, you, you didn't always do this, but I, I remember, I mean, maybe about five, six years ago. Is that when this started? Like you started, like you showed up. I remember the first time you, like, you showed up in your Star Wars suit. Yes, and then and it's on just, the intro. People, by the way, people all the time say, "Are you the guy from the listening room?" And I'm like, "Yeah." Do you see me play there? And they said, "No, you're on like the video sh that, that they show." Yeah, yeah. So it's a great question. I listen. I come from you know, uh, you know, my favorite babysitter was MTV. So I love Prince, David Lee Roth. I love putting on a show. I want to you know give people something they can't possibly pay for. Great songs and also great outfits. And it all started. Uh, before everyone in the world had those Christmas suits, I found one of those Christmas suits. So I was wearing it November through December and I would always, you know, I mean, I've always had leopard pants or wild shoes or whatever. And then when Christmas was over, I was thinking, well, I can't wear the Christmas suit. And I found I missed it. It was almost like I was, you know, like I said, I, I can be the superhero version of myself yeah. on stage. And then I, I was like, wow, I'm going to have to wait a whole year to wear that, <laughs> that, that Christmas suit again. And I was traveling, and I found the Star Wars suit. And I was like, oh, that's great. And then I found a leopard print suit. And I was just in Hawaii, and I found this incredible pineapple suit. You know, I just, I love it. I love it. And uh, it just it just feels good, you know? Yeah. I don't know if you can tell. I hate attention. Yeah. It's become your thing. And it's like, we always love having you here. And it's like, love having everybody here. But there's something about JT that when you play a show here, it's like you're not going to sit on a stool and just sing your songs. <laughs> no, you're going to no. get up. You're going to like you're going to start just screaming a cappella. You're going to get the crowd like I mean, it becomes like the party room. I mean, exactly. it's just I yeah, love it. yeah. yeah. You do that, yeah, get them all yelling sangria, and then you just, when they, you know, I tell a really funny story, then when they least expect it, boom, you hit them with somewhere with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's um, why I love playing here. I said it before, Nashville is becoming the Disneyland for adults and party people, and the listening room is like the Magic Castle. You know, on your way to the Magic Castle, you're going to go to Pirates of the Caribbean, and you're going to go to It's a Small World. To me, that's like they're going to hit the hot chicken, they're going to hit the tootsies, but they're all coming to the Magic Castle 
I mean, where else in the world you can't see people singing songs that they've written on a stage? There's no Brown Eyed Girl. There's no Cheeseburger in Paradise. Those are great songs, but you can do that anywhere. But at the listening room, just in case anyone listening doesn't know, you can come here and play songs you've actually written. And some of the best songs I've ever heard here are songs that are not even hits. Yeah. Songs that have just floored me that I've never even heard before. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, it's an, we get to do this every day. Yeah, every day. You That's go great. in a room and, yeah. and write every yeah. day, and that uh, that turns around, and you put a demo together, and you come up here, and you sit on a stool, and you play. You know, and I mean, even those songs that are that become hits, like you know, I'm, there's so many of them. I could I could list tons of them that I've heard. Like you know, I played Beers I, and Sunshine here before. Yeah, it was a hit. yeah. And it's interesting. No, people were looking at their watches and looking at the menu and not singing along. And I was like, oh, I don't know if this one's that that good. And then it was on the radio, and I sing it here, and the whole place yeah, sing it yeah, along. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's awesome. So th- this is probably going to be a super tough question, but uh, yes. do you have a favorite like of, of, the, of the songs that you've written, whether it's a hit or not? Do you have a favorite? Oh, that is a great question. I think just off the top of my head, I would think Smile because it's the most well-known. Yeah. And, you know, it was a big hit in Australia, and everyone seems to know that one. I do have another song that people might not know as well that I put out under my band name called JTX around the time before Smile called Love in America. And I love that Mm. song. And I think you really have to dig for it. I need to put it up on Spotify and stuff because I, I actually own the song. I've just never really put it up, but you can find it. Um, but I love that song. It's called Love in America. I love it. Yeah. And cool. Thanks. But enough about me. Can we talk about my book? You, we, I, <laughs> dude, great transition. You see it here? There's, that's where I was going. Yes. So Mutual Friend, actually, I met uh, Dana. Hardcover. Through, that's a real deal. Through you, but Dana Perino. Yes. Um, you uh, Star of television. We, you introduced me to her, gosh, maybe four or five years ago now um, because they were coming in for a convention or something like that. And and we became friends. You had a similar. You you became friends with her. Very yeah. very good. And then she flies flies in to do the book release right here at the yes, listening totally. room. So I'd never met Dana Perino before. And if you don't know her, I didn't know who she was either. She's on a big news. Uh, she has gigantic television shows. Yep. She was in the audience at the listening room. Saw me perform. And she just posted about it on Instagram saying, oh, this guy should write a book. And I saw this guy, JT Harding, and everyone was texting me. It was like the, it was like the Keith Urban story all over again. Yeah. And people were, and she said, listen, you should put a book out. And we met. And she said, write your stories down, all your song stories, just like I've been telling you. And then when I talked about, you know, I was adopted and uh, some, some family stuff that went on. And cra- working for Linkin Park, I also worked for this really crazy rock star who we're not going to name because he might show up. If you say his name three times, he appears in a puff of smoke. <laughs> and my book, Party Like a Rock Star, came out in February. I had the, the book release party here, and it went number one on Amazon, and you can find it anywhere. And if you like these songwriting stories and you want to hear them in Technicolor 3D, uh, get the book. I promise you'll, you'll enjoy it. It and, is you know, so I don't know good. If you know, I did the audio book as well. So yeah, you, no, I listened it, to it. Oh, good. I, I read. I he read took the book. a long romantic walk to the fridge with his headphones on. Exactly. Listening to yes. It. <laughs> no, I, you know, I was. I've, I've been uh, doing so many, uh, so much driving back it's and forth. Party like a rock star. If we forgot to tell you. Yeah, party like a rock star. JT Harding. Uh, oh, reaching over for everybody watching on YouTube. Woo! Here it is, right here. That's me uh, on the cover, breaking a, a guitar in the eighth grade battle of bands. Every I love filling it. in my mouth rattled when i tried to break that guitar it was impossible to break it <laughs> it is um it is such a good book um 
I uh, and yeah, I, I was I, I would read a little bit and was like I couldn't put it down. So like I would read part of it and then when I was driving back and forth to Pigeon Forge, I would listen as I was driving. Oh, and great. like to have the audio, like the you guys, like listening to a book on audio is great. It's a great way to like, you know, be able to grab content while you're on the go. But listening to a book in audio by the guy who wrote the book is another level and you did such a good job and it was like i think knowing you as well as i do it was just like i it was like oh man this is like thank you this That's is awesome so great. yeah i mean i wanted morgan friedman to do it but he was you know, too expensive but I, I did it and i imitate voices and you know everywhere i would go people would say hey have you heard the matthew mcconaughey book and i was like no oh, i gotta listen to it then i was like oh we've got to do an audiobook so yeah, yeah and awesome. you wrote that uh during covid right yeah totally i i it was interesting you know we didn't know the world was going to shut down and what was great about writing the book, if, if I was excited, write the book. If I was bored, write the book. If I was, you know, scared what was happening in the world, put that energy in the book. Waiting for a girl to call me back, I would just put that energy in the book. I don't wait for girls to call me back anymore because I'm a hit author. Thank you. That's right. But, um, yeah, so I – and if anyone out there, I think everyone – Everyone has a story. So if you're ever thinking about writing a book, go for it. It's, it's, it's really, it's really uh, an exciting thing to do. I think, you know, it, it comes like it, it goes back to songwriting. And obviously, you know, like you've you've done a, a great job songwriting and putting lyrics together and all that. But I told you this a while back. Like the thing I love about this is that you you can paint so many vivid pictures in three and a half minutes in a song and you write the same way. But you've got you know, uh, all the pages in the world that you want yeah. to paint that picture, but you don't stop. You know, it's like every, you know, like everything, like from, from sitting, sitting down and eating cereal. And you're talking about like, you know, like the, the you know, I mean, it, it was like, it was like, I was trying like, we crispies were, we, were popping like uh, it, rain falling. Exactly. Like, yeah. That, like it's yeah, just, yeah. yeah like it, it, I felt like I was, Thank you. Transported back into like we grew up around the same time, listening to the same kind of music and like you know just like the things that you Wheel did of in Fortune Michigan was on in exactly the, in the, yeah, right. It was just like I was back in my childhood in you know little small town in Missouri and was like man this is like Thank I loved you. it. Well, I read a lot and my favorite magazine articles, my favorite books are very visual, so I just tried to do that in the book. You know, it, it's like when I was writing the book, I was thinking it's like someone's looking at your Instagram but they can't see it, so you can't just say I walked into the listening room and played a song. You know, I, I you have to say, I you know the 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 sour smell of stale beer greeted me as I you know walked into the listening room. Uh, a Sam Hunt song played in the background as as if someone was whispering. I mean, this is it's right. better than that, but you have to do that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you did a great job. Everybody listening needs to go uh, follow. JT for his music, but go go buy this book. Um, you can buy it anywhere that you uh, you get books, or like he said, you can you can uh, get it on um, you know audio. Totally, uh, so. or you can order it online. It'll be yeah. at, I don't know how they do it. It'll be at your door, but you know by the time this podcast is done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's Chris. Uh, thanks so much for having me, and thanks for everything you do for songwriters. Man. You have so many people play here that are just beginning, that are just on the come up, as people say. And it can really, you know, change lives. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here. I want to close with, I ask everybody the same question dun, at the dun, end. Dun. Yeah. And you've already done a really good job of giving a lot of advice as we've been sitting here talking. But uh, if you are going back to eight-year-old JT in Detroit, Michigan, knowing what you know now, spending time with Keith Urban in a bathroom, wow. um, 
what advice would you give yourself that you could have done differently or what anything that you would have changed? I would have reminded, I would have told myself all of the twists and turns and the false starts and the things that don't work out. It's all part of it. It's all just leading you to become a better songwriter, leading you to where you need to be. I mean, I, I, I wasn't ready at 14 years old to, I didn't have enough life experience to write great songs. And if I had become a star at 20, hey, maybe I would have, you know, had a great time. But I just don't think I was ready and I would, I would get real disappointed. And, and here's another thing, like you cannot get bitter. You have to be yeah. excited for other people's success. Don't let, you know, a record company person or a radio station or another songwriter or someone like get you down if it doesn't work out. You just got to keep going. So that's what I would tell myself. And I, I don't know about all music, but for anyone listening that's trying to write you know, country music or trying to be a country star, I, I tell everyone, I, I really believe, even though you can get big on the internet and all that, you have to move to Nashville. I don't know anyone that's big in songwriting or country music that yeah. doesn't live here. This is where the records are being made. This is where the best songwriters are. And this is this is where you can play your own songs at the listening room. So I would say you have to get here. A lot of people say, well, I can't do that. You know, my girlfriend doesn't want me to or I can't leave my job. And then I'm like, dude, I don't know what else to tell you, because this is where people are coming to make it happen. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. JT, thanks so much. Thanks so much, man. I had a blast. Yeah. Party like a rock star everywhere. Woo! This is Chris Blair with another episode of Stories Behind the Songs with JT Harding. We'll see you next time. This has been an episode of Stories Behind the Songs with Chris Blair. For more information after the show, head over to chrisblair.com. That's where you can find information on these episodes, trailer notes, video links, all kinds of great stuff. Also, make sure to leave us a great rating on iTunes. Like and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. I really hope that you think this show is awesome and we really appreciate the love and support. I promise to keep gathering great content and continuing to sit down with more amazing songwriters and artists as we grow. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for the support. We'll see you next time.